of Chinua Achebe's Things Fall Apart. Readers meet the main character Okonkwo, who gained fame and respect by winning a wrestling match against an undefeated champion. Since then, Okonkwo has become wealthy, marrying three wives and fathering ten children in Umofia, one of the nine villages of his clan. His successes contrast with the failures of his father, a gentle musician in debt to his entire community. Ashamed of his father, Okonkwo is driven to be the opposite of him, fierce and hyper-masculine. In the rising action, clan elders choose Okonkwo as guardian of Ikemafuna, a boy who arrives in the village as payment from a neighboring clan whose members murdered a woman from Umofia. Ikemafuna adjusts to life in Umofia and comes to view Okonkwo as his father. Noye, Okonkwo's son, grows fond of Ikemafuna. But when the priestess Chielo orders, Chielo orders Ikemafuna to be killed, a village elder, Ezeudu, warns Okonkwo not to take part in the killing. He does so anyway, fearing that if he doesn't obey the oracle, he will lose respect. Nwoye in particular is devastated. Ezinma, daughter of Okonkwo's second wife, Ekwefi, becomes extremely ill with a fever, and Ekwefi is terrified the child will die. Later, Ezeudu dies, and during his funeral, men beat ceremonial drums and fire their guns. 
Okonkwo's gun explodes, accidentally killing Ezeudu's son. The punishment for killing a clansman is seven years of exile. Okonkwo and his family settle with his mother's clansman in Umbanta. When Okonkwo's friend, Obirika, visits, he describes the destruction of the Abame clan at the hands of the white man. The oracle had said that white men would descend like devouring locusts and destroy them. When missionaries arrive in Umbanta and other villages and request land to build a church, villagers begin attending services, including Noye, who leaves his father to join the missionaries. Okonkwo decides it's natural for him to have a weak son. As he puts it, living fire begets cold, impotent ash. Okonkwo returns to Umwopia after seven years, but he finds that much has changed. The missionaries are now well established. He wants to fight them, but Obeyrika warns it is too late. The white man's presence extends further than the church, as British officials have set up a government with a judicial process led by a district commissioner. Enoch, a zealous Christian convert, commits the crime of unmasking a Egwubu clan leader. In the climax of the novel, the Egwubu and village leaders respond by destroying Enoch's compound and the church. In the falling action, the district commissioner jails six leaders, including Okonkwo. They're humiliated and tortured in jail. Once released, Okonkwo vows vengeance, and he kills a court messenger for trying to stop a clan meeting. In the resolution of Things Fall Apart, Okonkwo has hanged himself. The district commissioner reflects that Okonkwo's story might be worth including in his book, called The Pacification of the Primitive Tribes of the Lower Niger. shall do this evening is quite simple. I shall read you a passage uh, from my first novel Things Fall Apart and then and then if you don't mind I will share with you two recent and illuminating observations from two readers from different parts of the world commenting on the same passage and things fall apart. My hope is that somewhere in that simple writer-reader interaction, a conclusion or two may emerge bearing on faith and reason. The principal character in the novel I'm going to read from is a strong man called Okonkwo, a man of ambition and achievement but also a hero flawed by impatience and turbulence. 
we encounter him in this passage falling from the heights of fame and success into the disgrace of homicide and banishment from his fatherland. His maternal uncle, who, is, who receives him in exile, does all he can to relieve a conqueror's pain. But the strong man is crumbling into despair, and his uncle decides to take strong action. His uncle's name is Uchendo. On the second day, Uchendo called together his sons and daughters and his nephew Okonkwa. The men brought their goatskin mats with which they sat on a raised bank of earth, and the women sat on a sisal mat spread on a raised bank of earth. Uchendo pulled gently his gray beard and gnashed his teeth. Then he began to speak quietly, deliberately, taking his words with great care. It is you, Okonkwo, that I primarily wish to speak to, he began. But I want all of you to note what I'm going to say. I'm an old man, and you are all children. I know more about the world than any of you. If there's anyone among you who thinks he knows more, let him speak up. He paused, but no one spoke. Why is Okonkwo here with us today? This is not his clan. We are only his mother's kinsmen. He does not belong here. He is an exile, condemned for seven, for seven years to live in a strange land. And so he is bowed with grief. But there's just one question I would like to ask him. Can you tell me, Okonkwo, why it is but one of the commonest names we give our children is Neka. Mother is supreme. We all know that a man is the head of the family, and his wives do his bidding. A child belongs to its father and his family, not to, his, to its mother and her family. A man belongs to his fatherland and not to his motherland. And yet we say, Mother is supreme. Why is that? From silence. I want to Konko to answer me, he said. I don't know the answer, Konko replied. You do not know the answer? So you see, you are a child. You have many wives and many children, more children than I have. You are a great man in your clan. But you are still a child, my child. Listen, and I shall tell you. But there's one more question I want to ask. Why is it that when a woman dies, she is taken home to be buried with her own kinsmen? She is not buried with her husband's kinsmen. Why is that? 
Your mother was brought home to me and buried here with my people. Why was that? Okonkwo shook his head. He does not know that either, said Uchendu. And yet he is full of sorrow because he has come to live in his motherland for a few years. He laughed a mirthless laughter and turned to his sons and daughters. What about you? Can you answer the question? They all shook their heads. Then listen to me, he said, and cleared his throat. It's true that a child belongs to its father. But when a father beats his child, it seeks sympathy in his mother's heart. A man belongs to his fatherland when things are good and life is sweet. But when there is sorrow and bitterness, he finds refuge in his motherland. Your mother is there to protect you. She is buried there. And that is why we say that mother is supreme. Is it right that you, Okonkwo, should bring to your mother a heavy face and refuse to be comforted? Be careful, or you may displease the dead. Your duty is to comfort your wives and children and take them back to your fatherland after seven years. But if you allow sorrow to weigh you down and kill you, they all will die in exile. These are now your kinsmen. He waved at his sons and daughters. Do you know that men are sometimes banished for life? Do you know that men are sometimes, sometimes lose their, all their young, even their children? I had six wives once. I have none now except that young girl who doesn't know her right from her left. <laughs> Do you know how many children I have buried? Children I begot in my youth and strength? Twenty-two. I did not hang myself, and I'm still alive. If you think you are the greatest sufferer in the world, ask my daughter, Queenie, how many twins she has born and thrown away. Have you not heard the song they sing when a woman dies? For whom is it well? For whom is it well? There is no one for whom it is well. I have no more to say to you. indeed a connection between all will be well and there, and there is no one for whom it is well. The answer is yes, there is a connection. There are two perspectives on the same human condition. One is a prayer, the other an instructional manual. One calls on and activates your faith, the other your reasoning faculty. 
the human mind accommodates the practice of faith and the application of reason. Faith and reason need not be at war, but they can be when we let either of them overrun the jurisdiction of the other. When faith runs amok and invades the domain of reason, we call it, quite appropriately, superstition. When it is reason that offends, we call it heartless unfeeling. Too much of anything, even a good thing, is to say the least unhelpful. It was interesting. So, 